The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 183 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Benello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize all the opinions expressed on the show on my own or the data of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that we're privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, last week we had former CISA Director of Cybersecurity and the current founder and CEO of Next5, Mr. Brian Ware, he joined me on episode 182 last week to provide his perspective on recent cyber events and the new executive order issued by the Biden administration. Brian also gave his thoughts on how he was advising the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on Cybersecurity over the next five years and how CISA's role has evolved. We wrapped up the show with Brian providing his perspective on lessons learned from serving in both the public and private sectors. All this and much, much more on episode 182 of Task Force 7 Radio. If you missed it, don't sweat it. We're on at least 11 play, different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere, folks. That's episode 182, How Recent Attacks Will Shape the Next Five Years on last week's episode of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, it's my pleasure again to bring on our uh, return guest and a friend of the show. I'm looking forward to having John Frazzini, the president and CEO of X Analytics, back on the night. John brings more than 20 years of experience as a security innovator to his role as president and CEO. As a dynamic technology entrepreneur and executive leader that successfully drives new technology and advanced services concepts into cyber risk and security markets, John combines his rich and varied security experience, including cybercrime investigations, cyber threat intelligence, artificial intelligence-based security applications, and cyber attack simulation technology. With his entrepreneurial drive to bring forward new concepts that addresses today's ever-changing cyber challenges, prior to embarking on his entrepreneurial journey, John served as a U.S. Secret Service agent. And, and, and as well as an investigator to the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, John focused on emerging internet crimes, systemic government program, fraud, and criminal exploitation of technology. It's my pleasure to introduce President and CEO of X Analytics, John Frazzini. John, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Thanks, Andy. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, man. Look, I got I to gotta, I gotta ask you because... I want to bring you back on the show because cyber risk, cyber economics, cyber risk quantification, like it's all starting to come together in the market right now. And, you know, I wanted to, I want to bring you on because give us an update on it because I'm getting other vendors, I'm getting, you know, not startups, but like mature companies that are seeing the need to kind of pivot into this space um, and you guys have already been there for a while, right? We've had you on the show, I think, three times already. You guys have been there. You've been doing it. You're driving the market. Um, can you give me the latest on what you're seeing in the cyber economic space and, and kind of give the audience a refresh on this kind of like what it is and what you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think there's there's a couple big macro things taking place in, in the cybersecurity industry. Um that's kind of leading some of this. And it, it gets down to, you know, the security function or security investments, you got to be able to make the business case, right? So you're seeing a lot more uh, examination or inquiry from companies related to the, the ROI or, or the, the, the value of making investments into the, into the security um, domain. Um, I remember, you know, in the early days, you know, when, when IT had a function IT security and, and everything was 
centered around trying to fix technical problems like, hey, we're going to deploy this technology. Um, security is a problem. We need to fix the problem. So, you know, you kind of saw security grow up in its early days within the IT organization, which is significantly changing. Uh, you just don't see that as much anymore. You're starting to see, you know, the security function flow into other areas of the business, like within the CFO office or beyond. So the, so the, so the big thing that you, I see changing from the early days of the cybersecurity industry is the fact that there's a lot more attention being given towards um, making the business case uh, for a security program. And, and you didn't see that in the early days. Uh, and the industry benefited through what everybody talks about, the you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, companies fearful that security was going to cause a problem. Uncertainty related to what should we be doing about it? We have no idea. Let's try to fix it, right? Which became kind of elusive. And then the doubt, you know, are we doing the things that we should be doing to, to keep these bad things from happening to us? And so you saw the explosion of the cybersecurity industry looking at security as a, a fix to an IT problem. And the macro shift that I see is that's, that's becoming a more diminished view. And it's more about business process improvement. It's more about developing um, the business case for in investments being made and programs being initiated. So that's a that's a significant shift I see in the macro cybersecurity industry. And then one other one real quick is just the emergence of how the insurance markets are seeking to bring uh, resiliency or what I would call cyber resiliency um, in into this this uncertain uh, landscape, right? The the cyber risk landscape. I think is being um, much more, uh, much more attention is being placed in it through, from the risk transfer markets. And, and that's bringing back all sorts of interesting information as to how companies can build um, not just quote unquote, more secure systems, but more resilient um, uh, systems. And so I think those two macro things are at play. And that's why you're seeing today kind of uh, the emergence of this category um, across the sector. So, yeah, I mean, look, the, the risk transfer piece is always interesting because of the, you know, there's been so much, there's so much actuarial data, right? Like there's tons of data around, you know, hurricanes and floods. And I think you're, you're we're getting, you know, pretty close to, to having enough data in cyber, but I mean, you're seeing now with all the ransomware attacks, you know, you're seeing, you know, companies have to start to limit, you know, put caps on things, right. Cause they can't afford, the systemic risk, you know, from the insurance industry perspective. Um, and, you know, the it's the one risk that seems to be cross-border, cross-sector that you can't hedge your bet on because everybody can be impacted at the same time, right? If you've got the same vulnerability. So that part is really interesting to me. But what, what are you seeing? Like, I, I'm seeing um, the need for CISOs to have to translate the different scores they get from security tools, you know, and, and I think part of that is because, you know, when you talk about how do you make cyber a business conversation, the first place you're going to want to turn is the, the tools that give you the telemetry about your security posture. Otherwise, like, how can I talk about what's happening? Right. And so I feel like there's a, there's a need for CISOs to have to translate the scores that they get from their security tools, right? Whether it's in, you know, their, their Zscaler scores or their security scorecard score, or, you know, maybe something that Tenable's putting out or whoever, right? Like at some point, all that's got to get translated to actually drive this conversation. Are, are, what are you seeing kind of play out there? Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, that this is, this is where you're seeing evolution in, in the market, the ability or the, the requirement to, to make sense of the telemetry or data that you're collecting, whether it's scoring data, whether it's technology performance data. You know, you hear a lot of different types of conversations around, you know, um, the scoring conversation, as an example, or um, the technology performance metrics, whether it's vulnerability management or you know, you know, what if I deploy a zero trust architecture? How, what does that mean? Here's some metrics around it. But I think at the end of the day, all of that is equally as confusing as the as the past has been. 
unless you're able to convert that information, what I call telemetry, into a business conversation. And the way to do that is through economic analysis. And that's what you're starting to see because it's the common language, dollars and cents that everybody can understand cross-functionally within a business, but also as you go up into the executive management ranks or up into the board conversation, having the ability to to, to, to not just defend, but articulate um, you know, the effectiveness of what you're doing from a security perspective in that way is kind of where the future is, in my opinion. So, for example, there, I think it's widely understood across the security industry that you can have that, the best performing security environment, but still have very bad economic things happen to your business as a result of it. So you can, in, from a security expertise perspective, think you're doing great, but still the bad outcomes still occur. So the question is, why is that? And that's what businesses are asking. Like, well, you know, we're investing a lot of money. We're doing a lot of things. You know, why do bad things keep happening? And, and oftentimes when you really take a look at it and you use economic analysis to look at the things that are taking place, you'll find things that are completely out of line. Like security teams are deploying technology to stop something that is not going to become a problem for their business. So they're, they're misallocating budget or they're not focusing on the right things. And so it's a great harmonizing force to use economics to understand where risk actually resides, and most importantly, what you can do to prioritize the mitigation of that risk. And it's the shift from looking at security as a technical um, uh, challenge to one that's an economic challenge. And so all of the various vendors that are out there that are saying, hey, just use our technology or use our scoring. If you can't make the business case, you're going to have a hard time functioning in the future uh, cyber risk um, conversation because more and more organizations are just fatigued with listening to the security conversation. And I think they're more and more um, demanding the business conversation. So, you know, look, when there's a breach and, and like they're all inevitable, right? Everyone's going to get popped at some point. And I, I feel like this starts to move down the path where everybody accepts the fact that there's going to be a, an issue, right? But you as a company collectively would have enough visibility into what the ramifications are when it happens and to some extent, you know, the frequency of which it may happen. And, and I think that's a very powerful place for companies to be, especially if you're, you know, you're a CISO, right? Because the last thing you want to do is worry about getting fired all the time, right? Like, like that's, that's the first thing that's going to happen, right? You're going to get a breach and there's going to be a couple months later, you're, you're going to get fired. But this kind of says, you know what, CISO, we recognize that's going to happen. We, you're bringing information to help us manage risk. And at some point, I hope there'll be a shift where the company goes, you know, companies are like, yeah, we know this stuff's going to happen and we're, pre- we're prepared to deal with it because we understand what our exposure is. And that to me takes a lot of that FUD out. It takes a lot of that stress out of you know, what's going to happen to us when this happens. And I hope that that's where this goes. Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, if you think about it, as we've been talking about it, if you continue to operate your security program as if you're trying to fix a technical problem, right, where where security is a fix for a perceived technical IT problem, you're going to be stuck in the past. Because I think if anything that we can agree upon within the cybersecurity industry is you're not going to fix the IT problems with security technology, right? So you're not fixing a problem. And as I mentioned earlier, that's that's what I saw for, you know, well over 10 or 15 years. That was, you know, the collective heads banging against the wall, right? We, we want to deploy technology. We need to fix the problem. Security can be a fix. And, and in some ways, there's some utility to that. And, some, and, and in some ways, that can be, you know, marginally true. But the real macro issue for business isn't running around trying to put out fires and fixing IT problems. It's building, you know, resiliency and strength through how you, you know, um, operate your business. Yeah. And so that, that, that's where it's going, right? So, 
to your point, if you're not able to understand the potential economic impact to your business related to any risks, inclusive of cyber risks, then how are you able to make smart decisions related to to operating your business in a resilient manner. And that's what businesses are looking to do. They, so you have to do some very simple things. You have to be able to size the problem, right? What is our financial exposure to this risk category? Um, you know, how can we understand our economic exposure? How do we understand what we can do about it? And from a risk transfer perspective, how do we optimize our transfer strategy so that the economic impact of this risk area doesn't impact our ability to thrive and survive moving forward from a business resiliency perspective? And so the transformation that's taking place is, you know, um, I'm a technical security, you know, professional, and I'm trying to fix the problems that my company has shifting into, I need to be able to articulate what I'm doing so that the business can understand the potential business implications of what I'm doing. And what I mean by that is, what is our financial exposure to this risk? What can we do to mitigate it? And how are we best making decisions to build a resilient organization, recognizing that technology is not going away, risk isn't going away, and we just have to find a better way, a smarter way to make decisions with what we do related to our cybersecurity programs. Love it, man. All right, folks, we're going to transition to another commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't, get to follow, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and even Instagram and searching at TF7 Radio to be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors and we'll be right back with President and CEO of X Analytics, John Frazzini. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with President and CEO of X Analytics, John Frazzini. John, so look, for, first segment, we talked about kind of the transfer market and, and what you guys are doing. But can you, can you give me a good example of where the shift needs to happen, where this translation needs to happen? Yeah, sure. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that, you, you see in the cybersecurity ecosystem is the is the emerging and or established really I, I guess I would say it's established um, requirement for supply chain assessment right how do we understand you know um, the security challenges that could be posed by our supply chain and that that's most recently something that's been topical in the news whether it's you know the solar winds, uh, attacks or the the pipeline issue that just occurred a couple of weeks ago, the Colonial Pipeline. You know, you're you're starting to see like how can our, you know, supply chain be used to to cause problems and 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 how can a sl- supply chain, you know, more in the physical world be affected by attacks. So you got a couple of different things going on there. Um, that when you take a look at it, you know, there's a business requirement to understand the exposure that you may have, and so supply chain is an interesting example, Andy, I would point to because, you know, historically assessing supply chains, I think if, you, if you've got 100 security professionals in, in a room and ask them to raise their hand if, you know, they had a, the assessments that they were doing related to their supply chain was effective. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody would raise their hands. I mean, I, I hear all the time that people are just checking the box with their third-party risk assessments that, their supply chain, you know, members may not even, or suppliers may not even get back to them on the questionnaires that they send them. And it goes down the list of, you know, example after example about how ineffective, you know, third-party risk management really is because the supply chain assessment programs really aren't producing any value. And so there is an example where you can convert what, what has historically been a box check checking exercise that didn't really provide any insights to the business from a resiliency perspective and convert that into economic analysis. You know, understanding your supply chain, uh, the exposure to your business from your supply chain in economic terms gives you the opportunity to take something that historically has been ineffective and turn it into something that can enable the business to understand you know, where they should prioritize their attention to build risk of resiliency within their supply chain. So there's an example right there where converting the, you know, historical box checking third-party risk assessments into economic analysis provides you the ability uh, to, to shift the conversation from something that really doesn't work to something that can actually empower the business to make smarter decisions. A lot, a lot of supply chains, when they talk about being resilient, you know, they're really talking about being able to, you know, actually ship product. And in their assessment of that doesn't always include cyber risk or ransomware. And, you know, I cringe sometimes when I hear companies talk about our supply chains resilient. But when you're not factoring in the cyber component and then that thing gets locked up or you have three or four vendors that have ransomware attacks because they have the same vulnerability, and, you know, you can't deliver your services, goods, you know, it's, it's, it's like, man, all of a sudden that supply chain is no longer resilient. <laughs> then you had no visibility into it, right? Like that's a problem. Yeah, I think, well, that's, that's exactly right. I, I think 
the ability to understand the the business impact, the adverse business impact that that your supply chain introduces is is critical now, and it's going to be critical in the future. And that's why you're seeing a lot of attention to this, including with the most recent executive order coming out of the Biden administration. Right there's 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 a recognition that the weaknesses within your supply chain could have a significant impact on your operations, not just from from a, a company perspective, but from a national security perspective. And so you're seeing right now a significant attention towards this because it's, I think, generally been agreed upon that the current status quo is not working. You know, if, if, if the third-party risk management industry had solved this problem, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, but it hasn't. And that's because, again, just like the broader cybersecurity conversation related to, to being a, an IT problem or, or a, a business problem exists within, within third-party risk management. If, if you're not able to understand how your supply chain ecosystem can impact your business from a cyber perspective, then you're not able to make smart decisions. And then the uncertainty of that's going to linger with you. And that's going to get in the way of you, you know, building resilient business operations. And so for me, this is a great example, you know, con- converting the status quo of the box checking ecosystem into delivering economic analysis as to how your supply chain can actually impact your business is going to be essential moving forward. It's, it's, it's the reason why we just most recently released um, an ex-analytics supply chain offering, the ability to convert your existing third-party risk management program into delivering that business intelligence around your exposure in this risk category is the future of where things are going in, 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 in my way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I love that you guys did that. I mean, it's, it's the, the market needs it. I mean, it, it, the days of, you know, questionnaires and relying on your vendors to give you a lot of information or the, the speed to market. I mean, it's just so hard. I mean, I think, I think what you guys are doing is great. Um, you know, when you look at the EO, you know, what, and we talk about like, why now? Like, why? <laughs> like, this is stuff we've known for years, right? Like, why, why, why is all of a sudden now the time to make these investments in infrastructure in the government? Why is, why is like, I, I'm struggling to understand why now is the time. Like, why wasn't this like the aha moment like a decade ago, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I got I think anybody that's been in this industry has seen seen this as a as a gathering storm for a long time. I mean, it's it's there's no secret to your point. It's it's been around forever. I just think it's it's you know from a government perspective, the, the you know the government functions are always laggards. They're never out in front. The commercial sector usually leads the government to to where they end up going. But but to answer your question, look. The reason why this is coming front and center is because you're starting to see more macro um, impacts related to exploitations that that flow through the supply chain. And that's why. So unfortunately, it's like the government's really not typically been good at, and you and I both come from the government, so we both have a background in, in the national security circles, but that typically government is reactive. They, they attempt to be proactive to try to get out in front of things, but you know, all things become political in government. And until, until the political winds shift where the problem becomes bad enough, you just don't, you don't, you don't see the action. And so I think the reason why you're starting to see it now is because even though it's been apparent that this is a significant area of vulnerability from a national security perspective, until such time that it's experienced, you just don't see, the government moving swiftly to try to prevent, you know, prevent bad things from happening. And so the reason why we have it now is because there's been problems that have been identified that have been significant. And if those things didn't happen, you know, you would, you know, we, we still wouldn't be making the progress that's being made. Yeah. So I'd love to get your take too on, look at like the SEC has put out guidance over the last, you know, couple of years around measuring cyber risk and boards having, you know, better visibility into cyber risk. And I feel like that's, you know, picking up some momentum again. 
I, I think, you know, for, for the last couple of years, it's like, yeah, it's something we got to do. We kind of do it in a, you know, however we feel like we want to do it, but I feel like there's going to be some sort of shift where board members are going to start to drive this conversation with CISOs. Like what's the latest in that space? Yeah, I think that's ap- absolutely happening. So I think it all comes down to, you know, what the SEC is doing is they're basically saying, hey, corporate America, you, you, can, no longer, you can no longer fly blind, put your head in the sand and have that not come back to haunt you. You know, you have a responsibility to disclose material risks to your, to, to your business. And you do that in other areas of your business. You can no longer put your head in the sand and just let the cyber thing play out without you uh, doing something about it. So, so I think even though it's been a few years now, the, the SEC putting out interpretive guidance related to disclosures around cybersecurity risk, you're starting to see that manifest itself in the boardroom. And that's because, you know, you, you can't, again, put your head in the sand, have cyber events impact your business and have shareholders be affected by that. It just, it just represents kind of a lazy way to do it. So I think you're going to see increasingly board boards demand from their management teams an understanding of what the cybersecurity risk is, the material, the material aspects of it, and some of the guidance actually points to understanding the financial components to it. So it leads right into our conversation here today. You know, if you're not able to articulate what the financial exposure is that your business carries from a risk from a from a disclosure perspective, you're not going to be operating and conducting a modern board conversation around cybersecurity risk. It's, it's no longer good enough to just say we hired a security team and we hope all goes well. It's, it's the emerging regulatory environment is going to, from the top down, um, put this type of analysis into the boardroom. And if you're a CISO or a security professional and, and you're not able to articulate what you're doing as it relates to the economic impact, you're not going to be able to answer the questions that are coming your way in the future. So I, I love this topic because, you know, companies, especially public companies, right, their stock price is dictated by, to some extent, the sales forecast, right? What's the funnel going to look like? And we prepare for that. Uh, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, you go off of what's actually happened. But companies are managing their the business quarter by quarter based on the funnel, right? And what we think is going to happen. And when it comes to cyber, I feel like we don't have the same level of comfort or flexibility. Like it's like it seems a lot more binary. Like it either happened or it didn't happen. And no one's really talking about well, what's the likelihood of it happening or the probability of it happening. And if it does, you know, what can we live with? What can't we live with? Like we do in in the sales forecasting space, right? Which is what all companies are working off of. It's like, what's, what's it going to take for companies to get comfortable in driving a conversation around cyber risk being able to be forecasted or talked about in a less binary way, similar to what we see in, in the sales you know, space? Yeah, I think the first thing starts with the fact that the, the emergence of the capabilities to actually provide that intelligence, what I call business intelligence, back to um, management or all the way through the board, right? The ability to convert your cybersecurity programs into economic analysis is now available, right? You can actually do it now. And several leading Fortune 500 companies are actually doing that. And a lot of it comes out of the advancements that are being made within the insurance sector that we talked about. The ability to understand through an underwriting perspective where financial exposure resides is something the insurance industry is, is you know, in some ways, if, if you're in the cybersecurity industry, you may, you may not really realize it, but they've been silently making a, a lot of progress in terms of understanding financial exposure to cyber threats, right? And so there is now analytics and there is now the ability to convert a highly nuanced and technical conversation of security into economic analysis that is actually possible today. So I think, you know, you're going to start seeing that increasingly being used. Several Fortune 500s are already doing it. And, you know, as that 
manifest itself throughout the board community, you're going to see it more and more. So the conversation in the boardroom will no longer be confusing, um, technical. It'll be, you know, what is the business intelligence we need to understand related to our risk to cyber? What is the financial components of that? And what decisions are we going to expect management to make as a result of that? That, that advancing conversation, the evolution of that in the boardroom is going to have a, in my opinion, a significant effect on the, the broader cybersecurity ecosystem. Because no longer are you going to be able to just, you know, ask for increased budget to solve a technical problem when there's no business justification for it. And so you're going to start seeing a collision of how the, the economics are going to impact the, the, the technical decisions being made. Where does, um, you know, reputation risk fit here? I mean, I feel like that's the one area of risk that I hear a lot about that companies are still trying to figure that out. You know, and, you know, you suffer a breach, the stock price drops, you know, if you have the right response, eventually, it, you know, for the most part, you know, kind of comes back up uh, over time. But what are you seeing in terms of helping on the reputation side of things? Yeah, it's funny. You, know, you bring up data breach, you know, it's, you know, we've done analysis on all of the, you know, most recent significant data breach incidents over the last several years. And invariably, when you correlate the, the economic impact, the share price, right, you see a very insignificant impact, like data breach simply just does not move the needle so far. It doesn't mean in the future it, it's not going to. But data breach is becoming more and more of like credit card fraud, right, um, where you just kind of accept the risks of everybody using, you know, credit to make purchases every day. There's an, there's an underlying financial lost to fraud that occurs, but, you know, we all pay for that through, through the fees and percentages that the, the card issuers um, require. So data breach to me is, is really something that has not demonstrated, even with Equifax, if you take a look at their, the financial statements, which we have, and you, you track it back to the, you know, they may get a short term impact to their share price, but over time, you know, that business, I would, I would argue, has successfully emerged from that incident unscathed. And they're in a stronger position today than they were before. It was an, probably an annoyance. It, was a, it cost them over a billion dollars. But if you look at the macroeconomics of that company, they've been able to absorb that impact in, in, in stride. Now, you can make the case no company wants, and that's a worst case scenario. You can make the case that no company wants to absorb a billion dollar loss in stride. But the point is, you know, the impact was not devastating, which is, which is my point. So if, when you take a look at the real issues that exist, it really gets down then to the economics. And you talked about reputation, but the economics of it, the business interruption economics is really where we're seeing like a 15X financial impact to data breach. So a lot of businesses don't understand that the real impact that they had has nothing to do with data breach. It has to do with business interruption. It has to do with, you know, uh, impact operations. It has to do with ransomware. It has to do with theft of funds or theft of intellectual property. So the financial impact that a business is going to face oftentimes is much more material beyond data breach. As it relates to reputational risk, you know, that too we've looked at and there's just no good example of where a business has experienced a cyber incident where their their the reputational risk has produced a long-term bruising effect. I mean, the best example of that is Equifax. But also, you know, you've got major banks that have lost all their customer records. I won't name them, but they have. And they don't seem to have, uh, people don't even bring it up anymore. So I, I have seen no evidence that, even though it comes up all the time, that a business's reputation has been materially impacted by a cyber event to date. I, I know of no examples. And the analysis just isn't there. So although I, it, it is top of mind, it does come up often. It's, it's, it's just something that hasn't been an issue from, from my experience. Yeah, I appreciate the insight, brother. All right, man, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsor. But don't go away. We'll be right back with more from President and CEO of X Analytics, John Frazzini. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with President and CEO of X Analytics, John Frazzini. Well, John, man, I, I got to tell you, I've always envisioned a day where I could have an app that would show me the, like, the company's cyber risk or cyber exposure like I could, like a stop tickler, right? Like every like, you know, 20 minutes it's getting updated where like I'm seeing, you know, our exposure kind of jump dip, et cetera, right? Like what do you think the future is? Um, in, in the cybersecurity space, especially cyberspace? Well, I actually think that the future that you, that you just referenced is, is the future. I, I, I think that in the future, the, you, look, you don't have business leaders waking up every morning saying, I can't wait to have a cybersecurity conversation today where our security team yet again asks for more budget to do more things that I don't understand. Like, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think that that's going to continue. Like, and you're already starting to see evidence of that slowing down through some CFO reporting where cybersecurity, everybody gets alarmed in the cybersecurity industry. Like, oh, the industry doesn't get it. Uh, spending is being, is flat. Like, why isn't it, why isn't the arms race continued that we've profited off of? And, that, and that's because the future is going to be where cybersecurity risk is folded into business operations it's not going to be prioritized like it is today through, through the um, arms race that's taking place within the cybersecurity industry. And that's why I always say that there's a, the cybersecurity bubble is upon us, right? And it's because unsustained spending at unsustained levels with no business rationale is eventually going to go away. There's, if there's no underlying value perceived by business, 
budgets are going to flatten out, if not decrease. And so as the app that you talk about gets developed and business leaders get a good, comfortable understanding of what their exposure is to cyber, they're going to start initiating a reduction of spending. It's going to become a cost of doing business. And you're not going to have the heightened attention on this issue in the future. So the future for me is cybersecurity risk folds into business processes, just like all other risks do. Um, the budgets will flatten out if not, re, you know, be reduced. And businesses will just operate in a way where they accept the risk that they are now understand. And they're not going to continue to chase their tail like they have been doing uh, today. Yeah, no, it's interesting, too, because you think about, you know, as, as everything moves into more third-party apps, SaaS, everything's cloud, at some point, you know, pretty much the third-party space is pretty much like your environment, you know, and for some companies, it already is. And when you talked about risk transfer, you know, and insurance and liability, you know, do you think there's a time in which, you know, we would start to think about well, man, I don't, I don't have to do too much security myself because I'm going to push that onto my vendors and they're going to be the ones that have to do it all for me. Um, you know, where, where do you think that, that space goes? Like, do you think it's- I think that, yeah, I think that's very real. You think about risk transfer, like you're, you know, really there's two ways, right? You can transfer the economic exposure into an insurance policy, which, which currently does not cover your, your overall financial exposure, right? So that's the, there's a deficiency there right now. That's changing. But you can transfer your financial exposure into an insurance policy, which is limited today. Um, but you can also transfer your risk by put, putting it on somebody else, to your point, right? And with, with COVID and the digital transformation that's taking place in business, more and more, you're going to see organizations shift to a future state where they no longer run their own IT functions, it's all been pushed off of into these macro suppliers of that, in effect, transferring that risk off to someone else. Now, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that all manifests and who takes responsibility for any economic impact in that ecosystem. But that's definitely where you're seeing a shift taking place. And then you got another thing that's going on as well, which is pretty significant. And, and if I was in the cybersecurity ecosystem, I'd be paying close attention to this. And that's the adoption of the zero trust architecture. Right. I think the zero, I think if they're on an increasing basis, if you get a broad based adoption, you're going to see a wholesale disruption of the cybersecurity ecosystem. As more and more organizations advance their digital transformation strategies, very similar to what you just described, they and, and organically start deploying a zero trust architecture, you're simply just not going to be needing the same things that are perceived that are needed today. And the hundreds and hundreds of cybersecurity vendors that are, exist, I think over time will just simply disappear. So if, if I were to talk about the future, and if I were a futurist in this industry, I would say that there's a day of reckoning coming in the cybersecurity uh, industry where, I don't know, let me just throw a number out, You know, 75% of what's being made available today will no longer be relevant tomorrow you're going to have three quarters of the industry disappear and shift. That's a day of reckoning. And the, the entities that are going to survive that are the ones that are going to be leaning into these future concepts. Like you're talking about the around digital transformation. And in particular, the one that I'm keeping my eye on is, is the adoption of the zero trust architecture. The more and more you see that happening, you can, al you can almost start to watch the graveyard fill up with cybersecurity vendors that, that have, built their solutions that problem to problems that no longer exist. So, I mean, Rick, that's a, those are impactful, you know, statements, right? And, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. What's your, what do you think the future is of the CISO? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, I actually spoke to the, the, the former head of Accenture's cyber risk business, and there's a gathering view there and other places, including my own view, you know, that the CISO, the, the emergence of that category will, will simply um, focus on the technical. If they, if they can't shift into the business intelligence conversation, that, that function will become more of either a technical function or it'll be a function that reports into the business function that we're talking about. 
right? So the CISO, the prominence of the CISO, I think is, is currently plateaued. And there's been a lot of conversation about how the CISO needs to have a seat in, in the boardroom. I don't see that in the future. I don't see the CISO in the boardroom in the future um, unless they're able to articulate what they do in, in an economic business sense. Um, you just won't have those conversations anymore. So, so I, I, I think that the, the function of the CISO has plateaued, in my opinion. Um, I, I think it's going to be with us, but I don't think its prominence in the business community is going to be uh, as everybody anticipates. I think it's going to diminish, especially as organizations seek to collect the business intelligence to make smarter decisions around cybersecurity risk. If you're a CISO that can do that, you'll be okay. If you're a CISO that can't do that, I'm not sure where you're going to find a, a place to reside in the future. Because, you know, so it's really going to be come down to the individual, but the function itself, you know, I, I think it's plateaued. I don't think calls for it to continue to be elevated are, are the right ones. And I, and I think um, you're going to start seeing a very different way for companies to manage cybersecurity risk than, than perceived today by the cybersecurity industry. Where do you think the role goes in terms of like the risk function, right? I mean, I think, you know, we've been focused so heavily on the security, you know, part of it um, in the title, but, you know, what do you think about the CISO kind of becoming more of a risk type of role? Yeah, I, th I think related to this conversation, it, it, if not a direct line, but an absolute dotted line into the CFO function and the CRO fun function. A future CISO's ability to communicate what they're doing in a financial construct with the CFO is the future, in my opinion. Ability to discuss it from a broader enterprise risk management perspective with the CRO is an absolute dotted, if not direct line. Um, most organizations have not elevated those functions to be centrally responsible for cyber risk uh, exposure, but I think you're going to start seeing that more and more over time. So it's definitely moving away. And you've got the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors, um, that has over 20,000 board members as part of its prof you know, professional organization. Um, articulating what I just described. So the, the CISO function is going to be less about increasing the prominence of the CISO and finding ways for that CISO function to communicate with enterprise risk management executives and the CFO function. So the future for me, it, this is going to be an enterprise risk management conversation uh, being conducted in concert with the CFO. And that's, and that's the information that you're going to see manifest itself up into the boardroom. Well, John, as always, brother, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, you got it. Anytime. Thanks. All right, bro. All right, folks, time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a re recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.